Dude, hi. You're gonna give me some pie. Welcome to the PieCast, serving up an extra slice of the strange. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the PieCast. I'm your host, Mandy. And on today's episode, I've got an interview with my best friend, Kat, about some stories that she has to tell. So let's have a listen to that. Alright, so I'm here with Kat, and she's got a couple ghost stories to tell. Okay, well... (laughs) Uh, I've, I've spoken about this quite a bit, actually, and I'm sure people think I'm pretty crackers about it sometimes. But, uh, but I, I think, <laughs> I think I'm deeply intuitive, and I'm sure that ghosts can sense that. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> when I lived in London, I lived in a big old Victorian-style house. I think at one time it was a residence for uh, veterans, is, is what I heard. Um, it was a three-story walk-up, and it was surrounded by trees. It was really picturesque in, in East London. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I started noticing things. Um, like, it was like a little thing at first, you know, I'd hear, like, a cupboard close or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm imagining things. And then out of the corner of my eye one night, I had the fan in my hallway because I only had a little air conditioning unit that wasn't very good. So I had the fan... pulling the air from the hall into my bedroom and out of the corner of my eye it looked like there was a man standing in my hallway but then when I look you know the shadow would be gone it wasn't like a shadow that I was seeing you know there was nothing there and then out of the corner of my eye it looked like somebody standing there so I thought okay well you know whatever fuck you I'm not scared of you yeah so (laughs) you know life life goes on and you know I started hearing ghost stories about uh, the hotel that I worked at Delta London Armories downtown London and my first week or so, uh, one of the bellmen um, had quit, and everybody, it was like the talk of the hotel, and, and I was like, oh, you know, I didn't even clue in, um, so time, some time goes on, and, um, and then one of, the, one of my fellow cooks told me that he had gone down to the parkade, and he came back just ghost white in the face. He walked right up to a picture of this man who died, I think... It seems to me it was, like, in the 60s or 70s, but had been at the armories when it was an arbory. Uh, um, you know, like, 1890, 1890s <laughs> kind of thing. And he pointed at him and said, I just saw this guy in the basement. I quit. <laughs> um, and I didn't find out until some sometime later. Anyway, so one night I'm sitting in my... And they're probably two separate ghost stories, but because they're happening at the same time, I always yeah. remember them together. Yeah. Um, so one night, <clears throat> and the way my living room was set up, you know, was sort of... You walk from the hallway into the living room, and then around the corner there was my little dining room, and straight forward, or like straight ahead, straight forward, straight ahead <laughs> was my uh, was my little desk, sort of in this little alcove, and then all the way around was my kitchen. Um, and I had a little lamp sitting on top of my TV, and so you'd think, and because everything just the way the angle was, if my lamp was going to fall off, it would definitely fall forward. Yeah. So. One night, I don't know if I pissed off the ghost in my apartment, or I just wasn't paying attention, or I was like, well, whatever, you know, like, I'm not scared of you. I think in an attempt to scare me, it knocked my lamp off. And the way it happened, like, I literally looked over my TV, and it looked like somebody took their hand and whacked it right off the TV left. Not forward, like, the lamp should have fallen. Yeah. It looked like somebody literally hit it, and it, it like, impacted. As though a hand hit it and whacked it off. It wasn't, like, a little bit. So anyway, okay, whatever. It was like, you know, screw you, ghost. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I am not scared of you. Like, whatever the deal is, I'm not afraid. 
Okay, so, you know, some time goes by and, you know, I'm, it's getting close to the end of my time in culinary school and... Anyway, a friend of mine had said, oh, you do cakes in your spare time. Can you make my boyfriend a Harley Davidson cake? We're coming in for brunch on Sunday, and I happen to be on the closing shift on a Saturday. So I figured I'll just work straight through, because I'm ridiculous like that. <laughs> so from beginning to end, I <laughs> baked the cake, um, cooled the cake, iced the cake, whatever. Um, and this happened to be one of those nights where they warned us that, uh, or they said it's good that you're going to stay, because there's only one person on the night audit, which is very unusual. And we didn't have any night security because there's some big event at the Labatt's mm. center. And uh, it was the same security company that did both. So, you know, whatever. Okay, knowing that, you don't think anything. So I, I get into the cake and I'm whatever. It's cooling, so I went up for smoke. Nothing, nothing. So when I started cutting the cake out and started to ice it, I noticed a man standing sort of down the hallway, like off over my left shoulder out of the corner of my eye. And it was like a man's figure, <clears throat> but I couldn't see his face. But for sure, I, I saw this. So I called front desk and I said, "Oh, who's back here?" And Melissa was the the night or like the night auditor at the time, and she said, "Nobody, nobody's been back there. Nobody's <laughs> on." And so there's a man standing back here, and she said, "No, they're, like they're, I'm <laughs> yeah. watching both of your entrances. There's no way somebody could physically be back there. Like, is the door locked?" I said, "Yeah, there's nothing going on back here." And she was like. Oh, whatever. It's probably just the ghost. So I told all my, <laughs> all my, all my cook buddies the next day and they were like, Oh, you saw the ghost too. And then, then the Bellman story mm -hmm. came back up and sort of everybody had had a little bit of a story about the ghost, but the most sightings were all, were in the, uh, in the basement, the parkade. Cause that's probably where they kept all the weapons at one time. Yeah, probably. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, those, those are my two ghost stories for, for here. And then my, or sorry for like my London days. Um, and I live in a super old house now, so, and I haven't seen any activity. It's sort of like, I guess maybe they know that I like, don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we can go and, you know, we can cohabitate together, but you don't have to like contact me because I'm really not going to fucking, I'm pretty ambivalent about you. So anyway, so my third ghost story. So my ex and I lived in this big old house and the word on the street was this old man and his younger wife had lived there. Um, and so, and I'd always had this feeling, and I remember telling you, Mandy, mm -hmm. and my mom, and, like, lots of people that it's such a fucking weird feeling, but it always feels like somebody's watching yeah. me. And it made our cat, George, crazy. <laughs> like, cats are a little crazy, and they do their little bonkers thing, but, like, he, he would physically walk around structures that weren't there and stuff. That's so, a little bit unnerving. It is a little bit unnerving. <laughs> yeah, a little unsettling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway... I was home in the house one day. It was just like a breezy afternoon, had the windows open and I'm walking through the front and it was all open concept. All the walls had been opened up and you could see, th you know, if the bathroom door was open on the main floor, you could see through our kitchen rack mm -hmm. into the bathroom. And I looked uh, like I was walking by and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a woman with long hair naked sitting on the toilet. God. And then when I looked, like, look, look, <laughs> you know, she was gone. Yeah. So... I asked my stepdad, who is an <laughs> elder in town, what I should do. And he said, you know, open all the windows and let her know that she doesn't have to stick around. And I did. And I never felt that presence again. <laughs> I never felt those eyes on me ever again. And I never saw her again. Oh, wow. So, anyway, those are my stories. Do you think that, like, in the London one, that it may have been, like, one of the ghosts, like, from the armory sticking to you and coming back to your apartment? Or do you think it was, like, probably one from the apartment building? I'm so dense. I didn't make the connection. If I lived in a building that was for old veterans, mm -hmm. 
and I worked at the armories. Like I just Stands thought, I just thought of that. Me too. You're a genius. <laughs> I, honestly, in all that was 15 years ago, and in, in all of that time, sorry, 13 years ago, in mm-hmm. all of that time, I never made the connection. I like because I've heard the story before, and I, I just thought of that now. I'm like, wonder because I know go stick to people sometimes, or like can follow people. So, but I, yeah, I wonder if it was the same ghost following me from one location to the other because he had a connection to both. Yeah, or it could have been like a different one from the armories too. Like there may have been a few at the armories or do you think it was just like the one the one dude that was always there I don't know it's hard to say because they didn't feel different yeah and I, I've got to say that every every strange encounter I've had has felt different like mm-hmm. the lady being in that house felt different than the men did in London sort of thing yeah that's, that's funny crazy. that you made that connection because <laughs> it could very well have been in the same person yeah and uh Probably back in the day before all the buildings and structures and stuff were there and all the dips and valleys and, you know, because mm-hmm. where I lived was sort of up and down a hill and then it sort of dipped into a valley to go to downtown kind of thing. So at one time, it probably wasn't a huge distance between yeah. where the where the old houses and the old armories was, right? Certainly not by horse and carriage. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because, I mean, from one point to the other with no traffic, it was like a, maybe a 10-minute drive. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, interesting. Interesting to that connection because I certainly have not in all this time. Huh, well. It's crazy. Learn something new. <laughs> People investigating everything. And now it's time to serve up your slice of the strange. Today I've got two stories for you of weird, uh, spooky objects. <laughs> the first one's called The Conjure Chest. 150 years ago, Jacob Cooley ordered his African-American slave, Hosea, to build a chest for his first child. Hosea set to work, crafting a wooden chest of some remark. For some un- unknown reason, his master was displeased with his efforts and beat his slave to a pulp, killing him. Which is very unfortunate. <laughs> Cooley's other slaves vowed to avenge the death of their friend and sprinkled the dry blood of an owl in the chest and had a conjureman curse of the chest. As of the magic, or as if by magic, Cooley's firstborn died of infancy, and over the forthcoming years, a total of 17 deaths were attributed to the chest. Eventually, the curse was lifted by a conjure woman. The chest can be found in the Kentucky Museum in Frankfort. So, there's a case of, I guess, I don't want to say voodoo, but it's kind of along the, the same things, you know, curses are kind of part of those um, old world religions. And it seems like they probably put some kind of curse on the chest and that led to the deaths of people. <laughs> um, the second one is going to be Valentino's ring. So Rudolph Valentino, the movie star, um, died of a perforated ulcer at the age of only 31 in 1926. Some blame his early demise on a ring he purchased from a jeweler in 1920. The ring had a gem called Hagger's Eye embedded in it. The legend goes that Valentino showed the ring to a close friend immediately after he bought it, and his friend said he saw a vision of a pale and deathly Valentino. Regardless of what his friend did or did not see, Valentino's next few major pictures flopped at the box office, and he died within six years. But Valentino wasn't the only victim of the ring. His lover, Pola Negri, became gravely ill after wearing the ring, so much so that her career had to be put on the back burner for years and never fully recovered. Russ Colombo, the actor hired to play Valentino in the biopic of his life, wore the ring and was killed in a shooting accident some days later. And the gangster Joe Casino bought the ring and refused to wear it until the curse had faded. After several years, he finally put the ring on and was dead within a week due to a motoring accident. 
The list goes on, but since the 1960s, the ring's whereabouts have remained unknown. Perhaps it's on a finger of someone. <laughs> um, I think that kind of falls in line with the, the tales of James Dean's car, where it seems like it was cursed, and anyone who drove it or owned it after he had it seemed to find their own demise. Bye! <laughs> Alright, so the other part of this episode is going to be me talking about some things that I find unsettling because I think that kind of fits with the whole paranormal supernatural thing, right? Um, I mean, maybe maybe phobias may just be some other weird stuff, right? (laughs) Um, Probably the the biggest thing that I find unsettling is stuff going into my ear at night. (laughs) It's kind of a phobia, I guess. But when I sleep, I always end up covering my ear. Um, No matter how hot it is, I always have to cover my ear with my blanket. And it's to the point where, like, if I wake up during the night and my ear is uncovered and I hear a noise or something that, you know, wakes me up in the night, instead of getting up to investigate, I will just cover up my ear. (laughs) Because that's my way of protecting myself. Some people protect, you know, pull the blanket over their head or hide under the covers. I cover my ear because I don't want something going into it. I have, like... I don't know if it's just a weird feeling that someone's going to break into my house and stab me in the ear, but it's just a thing I have. I'm more concerned about my ear than anything else. Um, and then one of the other things that I find really unsettling is lakes and waters and waterways and rivers at nighttime. Um, you living in northern Ontario where I live, we go camping a lot. It's kind of what you do growing up. It's a part part of who you are. And part of camping is there's usually a lake or a river, some kind of waterway nearby. And just the thought of going into the water at night, I find very unsettling. I don't know if it's just from seeing too many horror movies or, you know, kind of thinking that there's going to be monsters or creatures under the water or murders or what. But I just find it a little bit unnerving to think of, you know, being in the dark water at nighttime. I mean, it could be because you can't really see what's under there. Um, lakes and rivers are usually a lot still and calmer at nighttime, I find. And it's just something that's kind of creepy where, you know, it's, it's beautiful at the same time, you know, just seeing the, the lake listening, the moon sort of hitting the light on the lake. But I don't know, I find it very unsettling to think of going into the water at nighttime where I would not do it. I wouldn't even go on a boat at nighttime and on the water. I would not want to walk into a lake on the water or a river at nighttime. And I think that part of that that actually goes with it is pretty creepy. Um, there's a video of like moose swimming. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a moose swim, but it's a little bit <laughs> it's a little bit creepy seeing a moose swim, period. Never mind watching a moose swim at night. It's very strange to see. It's something that's not very common and that's definitely another thing that I find unsettling. <laughs> I keep, I don't know if I'm saying unsettling weird, unsettling. Um, yeah. So those are just a couple of things that I find unsettling. They're kind of my main things that are weird um, about me. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your slice of the strange. I want to give a shout out to Recap, the band that provided the music that I use for my show. And say that you can check them out at Recap Band on Twitter, as well as you can find me on Twitter at ThePiePod. And find me online at ThePiePodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search for The Piecast. And also, I'm a proud member of the Pottern Family Network. <laughs>